seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard. Have you ever had a moment where the origin of a word suddenly pops out and smacks you in the face? This happened to me several years ago when I visited the Museum of Jurassic Technology in Los Angeles. If you've never been, I highly recommend it, and I'd say go in knowing as little as possible. But suffice it to say, it's a museum about museums, in a weird sort of way. Anyways, one of the first exhibits is an introduction video, and the video explains that the word museum comes from the Greek word muse. Since before you could Wikipedia everything, a museum was the rare space where one could walk through the accumulated knowledge of human culture. The literal translation of museum is seat of the muses. Boom! Mind blown! I mean, it seems painfully obvious now, but the connection had just never occurred to me before. Okay, so that's the word museum. But then what's a muse? In Greek mythology, the muses were a group of inspirational goddesses, considered the source of knowledge from which poetry, insight, myths, and art emerge from. So we can basically think of the muses as a hot click of cool goddesses whispering good ideas in humanity's ears. More or less. Now, when someone whispers in your ear, it causes the teeny tiny bones in your ear to resonate. This is how we hear. So we can imagine the whispering of a muse as a signal that resonates. Maybe the whispering is for your ears only, or maybe you're the only one willing to shut up and listen. In either case, certain people get struck with inspiration, and sometimes that inspiration resonates with the wider world. Today's episode is all about a very specific bit of whispered inspiration, and the way it resonated with three men, Gerald Gardner, Raymond Buckland, and Stephen Intermill. Gerald Gardner was the first to hear the whisper. A retired British civil servant interested in magic and the occult, he began writing books about witchcraft in the 1950s. Gardner was a member of a coven and believed the tradition he was articulating could be traced back to a pre-Christian matriarchal religion. So it wasn't like he invented witchcraft whole cloth, but he supplied much of the form and structure we recognize as witchcraft today. He also gave us the word Wicca. From there, the whisper crossed the pond to an American named Raymond Buckland. We'll discuss Ray's story in greater depth in the episode, but the Cliff Notes version is Ray got inspired to reach out to Gerald Gardner, and in their connection, a collection of artifacts was handed over, which Ray brought to America to create the first American witchcraft museum. Our guest today, Stephen Intermill, is the latest person to resonate with this whisper. Like Buckland before him, he got inspired to reach out, but this time to Buckland himself. The collection of artifacts, which had increased in size considerably, was exchanged once again, and the Buckland Museum of Witchcraft and Magic was born, this time in Cleveland, Ohio. 
Today, it exists as a mecca for magical practitioners, a place to go and walk among artifacts that once belonged to Gerald Gardner, Raymond Bucklin, Alistair Crowley, and the many other men and women who made paganism and the occult what they are today. It is a place where contemporary practitioners visit the roots of their traditions, where anyone and everyone who resonated with Wicca and witchcraft can come to sit among the muses. So, as you listen to this lovely conversation I had with Stephen shortly after visiting the Buckland Museum myself, I want you to listen to more than the words we say. Tune those tiny bones of your ears in and see if you can feel the faint whisper stretching across time and space of the muses that first inspired modern witchcraft as we sit by their seat and learn how to run a witchcraft museum. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. What's our magic word going to be today? Grasshopper. Grasshopper. Okay, great. On the count of three. One, two, three. Grasshopper. grasshopper. All right. Why grasshopper? Because uh, we have a mutual friend mm-hmm. named Josh, and he was in one of my favorite bands of all time called Grasshopper. I love it. Yeah. We met at a wedding several years ago, but then recently I was in Cleveland and I got to come to the lovely establishment where you are right now, the Buckland Museum of, of Witchcraft. And magic. And magic. Not just witchcraft. Very important part of witchcraft and beyond. So um, why don't we just start at the beginning and can you tell us the origin story of, um, I guess, Buckland and the museum because they all kind of flow one into the other. So we were founded by a writer named Raymond Buckland, who's very known, well known for bringing a religion called Wicca to the United States. At first, he just referred to it as witchcraft because of his mentor, Gerald Gardner. Gardner rarely used the term Wicca interchangeably with witchcraft, but now it's kind of morphed into that. But Ray had um, is kind of obsessed with witchery. He studies under Gardner. He gets his initiation into Gardner's version of witchcraft, and he brings his religion to America. He initiates his wife, Rosemary, and they form a small coven, a group of witches, and they realize very quickly that they need training. So they travel to the Isle of Man, where Buckland's initiator, Monique Wilson, Lady Olwyn, was running Gardner's Witchcraft Museum, the um, Museum of Witchcraft in a place called the Witch's Mill, Isle of Man. And they think having a museum would be a fabulous way to train their group. They start collecting pieces here and there. They put them on display in their basement, just a few shelves. And it has the lofty title of First Museum of Witchcraft in the United States. Amazing. I think it's so cool, too, how witchcraft is a tradition that is coming from the past that people are trying to keep alive. And a museum is also a place where we keep old things from the past alive so we can understand them and unpack them and see their relevance. So I like how the the history of a museum is also running through the history of uh, modern witchcraft. Yeah, absolutely. And when you came to the museum, can you... uh... I'm very interested in your experience. Sure. So when I came to the museum, I got a wonderful tour and there was a, just a nice overview of sort of the history of, of witchcraft and how Gardner kind of came to formulate it and understand it. And then that led up through um, 
some of Ray Buckland's life and then to the formation of the museum. So I do know a little bit about that story. But then I think it was really nice because you sort of get an overview and then it's a choose your own adventure from that point on where there's different areas of the museum which range from there's a case with a bunch of belongings of Alistair Crowley and there's... um some of the original artifacts that I think Gardner handed off to Buckland, who <laughs> has handed off to you. And so there's that lineage. And then there was even cool, like psychedelic rock flyers that I think people sent Buckland over the years. And so you really saw not just magic and isolation, which I don't even know if that exists, but you saw the way that it has interpenetrated various aspects of culture. And um, for me, it was quite a delight personally because I saw that you had um, a magical staff from Oberon and you had some books and other things from Lilith Dorsey and they have both been previous podcast guests. So oh, wonderful. I was like, oh, cool. All right. Like even a little bit of our magic is weaving its way through the museum, even more so now that we're having you on. Yeah, it's um, so Lilith Dorsey. She donated some pieces, uh, I guess, two years ago. And my absolute favorite piece by her is her red dress that's mm. on display. And it was a um, a dress used in ritual many times, as she described. And uh, I just love hanging out with Lilith uh, yeah. pretty much every day here. Well, I think about this when I go to like a Goodwill and you find some cool random thing that you're like, oh my God, I have to have this weird thing. And then it just becomes a part of, you know, your wardrobe or your shelf or whatever it is. And I'll look at it sometimes and I'm like, what was this thing doing before me? Like I came into the story at some point, but this thing was made somewhere. It belonged to like somebody else. It might've belonged to dozens of other people. And so every object has a story that we often don't have access to. And I think that's one of the things that makes an object magic. So do you ever spend time asking the objects? No, I should. I should ask the objects more directly. <laughs> so one of the most... um important recent pieces to the collection is an altar that was uh, used by a witch named Leo Martello. Okay. Leo Martello is essentially a legend in witchcraft. It's kind of maybe getting a little bit forgotten about today, but he was not only an early witch, but he was also an early gay rights activist. Right. And Leo, fascinating individual. And I was going through his things and I pulled out his uh, Durham, which is, a ritual tool. And, um, you know, I tell a very extended version of the story in the museum, but holding it, I had to know exactly what Leo used it for. So I asked him, I try not to pretend like I have very strong psychically developed powers or anything like that, but I had an image of clear as Leo is clear to me now as you are across the screen here. Wow. Holding his uh, Durham and carving the names of his enemies into his candles. And yeah. I just had a laugh. <laughs> Leo came up with a, like, there's a form of witchcraft that is, I forget what the name, but like. Um, well, he's essentially the founder of like the American Strega tradition of witchcraft. That's right. Which is very heavily Sicilian based. Yes. And so I'm curious, how did you get into witchcraft? Uh, well, so my mother's Swedish. So when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in Sweden. And I think uh, maybe I really enjoyed the Easter celebrations where there's a lot of witches there. I always was uh, interested in Halloween. I spent a lot of time. Uh, we lived in Tennessee for a while when I was a kid. And I would hear the stories of the Bell Witch, who was a famous Tennessee witch. What is the and Bell Witch? I haven't heard that story. 
uh, it's, you know, it's kind of confused to me now, but it would say um, it's a rural Tennessee witch that wreaked havoc on people. We have a witch tree here in Louisville that there's a story basically about how this yeah. tree was important for like the May celebration. And then the city cut down one of the trees or something. The, the, the city did something that like pissed off the witches. And then some insane tornado came and like tore up the tree and like wrecked the building that they had replaced it with or something like that. And just everyone was like, oh, snaps. And then they honored and gave the witches a different tree to, to pacify them. That's wonderful. Yeah. A couple of my guests from, uh, Kentucky have told me about that tree. It sounds like a great like pilgrimage spot to go check out and vibe. So uh, let's see. So I'm a kid. I don't know. This is just what I've always liked ever yeah. since. You know, you go to, um, you know, like in school, Scholastic Book Club. What books would I get? I'd get the UFO books and I would get yeah. the uh, witchcraft, supernatural, unexplained books. And then probably got a little more serious into this stuff in my uh, teen years. Uh, had a bit of an obsession with Aleister Crowley. Then, you know, discovered Kenneth Grant. I was also, you know, came up time, graduated in 90. So, uh, Grant Morrison, mm-hmm. Alan Moore were feeding into my head. So, yeah. So, that's pretty much what brought me here. I caught a later wave of that where, yeah, um, I graduated in 2004, and so Alan Moore and Grant Morrison had already produced some of their magical, major magical works, and it was pretty, um, pretty great inspiration. It was like I would go read one of the more hands-on books of like, here's how to do this stuff, and I'm like, well, this is cool, but also kind of dry. And then I would go read about psychedelic time travelers, and I'm like, all right, well, this is this is pretty exciting. I want to go back and learn the techniques now. <laughs> right, exactly. So you 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 were following the path of. Crowley and was witchcraft something that was particularly resonant for you, or it was part of just the sort of magical milieu of of different occult things you were exploring? Magical milieu, I would yeah. say. And I first um I came across Ray Buckland's book, The Complete Book of Witchcraft in the nineties. I was working for Walden Books. Mm-hmm. And it was around the time when the movie The Craft came out. And all of a sudden this book just started flying off the shelves. And I was the person Spooky. that took well, <laughs> metaphorically flying off yeah. the shelves. And so one day I was just kind of going through it. And there was one line about owning the first museum of witchcraft in America. Maybe this implanted in my head. And uh, here we are. I'm the director of the uh, museum. So that was what I was thinking about a moment ago is that it's it's sort of this like interesting story that's told not in chronological order because you came in when wicca had already been um introduced to the masses quite a bit like you know like you know there was books that you could go buy at a bookstore at the mall and start to learn about this stuff but then you go back you connect with ray who was part of the reason why those books were in the bookstore and then now you're continuing the legacy so um how did you end up connecting with ray i always tell people you get a weird idea send that email yeah so I was working at another tourist place around here. And um This was the uh Christmas story house? Yeah, I was working for a Christmas story house and um, you know, deep in the marketing department, took care of the social media, all that sort of thing. And also I noticed that the museum that housed all the artifacts from the film really could use some help. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much take took it upon myself to uh, you know, turn the museum into someplace I'd actually want to visit. And while doing that, eventually one day, 
you know, after you do something for a while, you're like, well, I've been there, done that. It's time for something new. Where do I go from here? I remembered Ray's book and I remembered he owned the first museum of witchcraft in the United States. And I just emailed him, whatever happened to your collection? Never in a million years did I ever think that there'd be a response. And shortly after, the woman who's now my partner in the museum, Tony, she calls me up. And she was a, um, well, she still is the acting high priestess of Ray's Last Coven Mm -hmm. and uh, is the caretaker of many of the artifacts that we have on display in there. She calls me up and said, Ray spored me your contact, said that uh, you were interested in seeing it. I said, yeah. She said, well, it's all in a bunch of totes in an attic. I said, all right, well, that sounds great. Let's go. And uh, I went and checked it out. Where was it? Uh, down in Columbus. Okay. Just kind of sitting there. Just and waiting. You were already, so you were already in Cleveland. So there was a H- Ohio connection with, with all this stuff. I'm in Cleveland. Tony's in Columbus. Not that far of a trip. And uh, here we are. Wild. It's yeah. really amazing to think about those moments. Because I've had a few where, you know, someone that I'm excited about. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if they'll ever want to be on my silly little podcast. And then I reach out and they're like, absolutely. And then it yeah. creates this this wonderful connection. So... Well, that's the thing is, you know, it's, uh, I mean, what's the harm of reaching out to people? Yeah. Right. It's not that scary to have someone not reply to your email. Yeah. You know, I've sent a lot of emails where I never get responses, right? Totally. And that's completely fine because I think of all the emails I get where I think to myself, yeah, I need to respond to this person. And then I just never do because somebody walks in the door at that moment Mm -hmm. and, uh, the game's afoot and uh, I can't look back. So if anybody here has ever emailed me about a project, believe me, nothing personal, feel free to email me back because chances are, let's face it, museums of a uh, larger scale than mine have departments that handle that sort right. of thing. Here, it's uh, essentially me, Tony, but she's very busy down in Columbus. My uh, spouse, Jillian, who's here on Sundays, sometimes Saturdays, and my assistant, Cara, that's here four days a week. So, you know, yeah. it's not that big of a team. Well, you gotta, you got to animate an army of skeletons to help out. Uh, you know, I have actually thought about doing that sort of thing, but it would just, in the end, be more of a uh, sorcerer's apprentice kind of situation. Right, yeah. No, I mean, it's hard to hire good help. I'm, I'm sure skeletons are not that reliable. Yeah. Um, well one of the things so i I did speak to our mutual friend josh before this interview and one of the things that he brought up was the way that your career before the museum was kind of a bunch of different jobs that somehow then lined up to give you all of the skills you would need to run a museum oh yeah absolutely and so i was wondering if you could chat about that a little bit because i think a lot of people especially i have you know listeners that are somewhat younger and when you're in the middle of it it kind of feels like oh my God, what am I doing? And I worked at this restaurant and then I worked at this thing and then I was you know, a personal assistant and it doesn't make any sense. And then suddenly you get to a point where you're like, oh, I see how the notes are starting to form a, a scale and I kind of get where it's going. Yeah, so um, I first met Josh when I was living in New York City and um, I had a gig at a tattoo magazine and that was all right. And um, using the skills that I learned there, I got a gig when I moved to New Orleans selling French bistro furniture online. Okay, well, what's that have to do with anything? Before I left for uh, New Orleans, I performed a ritual 
And if anybody out there is uh, familiar with the work of Michael Bertio, it was the um, the lucky hoodoo. And my idea was I'm going to move to New Orleans and maybe I could get a gig in the tourist industry there. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that I got good at selling French bistro furniture online and never got around to uh, anything related to the tourist industry there. Well, little did I know that this collection actually happened to be in New Orleans at that time with a woman named uh, Velvet Wreath. So I'm there vibing. No idea that the collection's there. And eventually I realize I'm a Yankee at heart. So I moved back to Cleveland mm-hmm. where all the skills that I use selling French bistro furniture translate to me getting a gig at a Christmas story house. So just to clue in readers, the Christmas story, the classic movie that plays like for the entire week of Christmas uh, was filmed in Cleveland. And so the house that it was filmed in is there. And so, yeah, you'll see like I was in some other artsy neighborhood and I looked up and there was like a leg lamp in somebody's window. It's, yes, it's definitely a people are obsessed. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I remember it was just we had moved to uh, back to Cleveland. And I just needed a temp job for uh, the season and I was like, well, this is actually like kind of a big scale production that they have going on here. This yeah. wouldn't be a bad place to work. So uh, I started working there full time. And uh, that's the beauty of a small scale company is you can figure out ways to uh, climb into uh, pieces of importance. So, so working at a Christmas story house, but you know, you're looking around. This is great, but you hit that ceiling, right? Yeah. I'd rather do my own thing. The things I learned from working there was learn how to tell a good story related to some really cool stuff that people want to see, make people have a good time, figure out a way to have that happen, and uh, people come see you. You know, uh, what is it? Build it, they will come. Yeah. There's a really interesting thread here, too, about the way that um, movies and media have become forms of magic in our culture. And like, it's a ritual. You know, just be at your grandparents' house and watching a Christmas story on TV. And because so many people grew up with that ritual, it has become more and more part of the culture. And so making the pilgrimage to go bow before the leg lamp. uh, Which is a uh, totemic symbol of the uh, winter solstice, if you think about it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's, it's, it's right there. In a lot of ways, it's replaced the tree to a lot of people. Yeah, It's like, you see it, you think Christmas. Right. And it's like emerged from this kind of American kish and become something else, which is one of the things that I think is interesting about um, the origins of witchcraft. Um, I think there was a a phase where it was very literal, where people, you would read a book on Wicca and it would be like, this is a matriarchal religion that goes back to the Stone Age. And then I think more modern scholarship has sort of dismissed that. And I'm personally of the persuasion, who cares? Like, well, yeah, absolutely. The story emerges and is based on memories and fictions the same way that our entire personality is. And so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about um, the origins of witchcraft going back to Gardner and beyond. So this is the story I tell, you know, and there's always more details to it that I kind of um, don't really go into. But Gerald Gardner, he is uh, he's kind of fascinated by the occult. And he's seen there and, uh, well, he says that he was initiated into a witch group in 1939. He's also a Freemason, and he's thinking, you know what, this witchery could use is some structure. And, uh, well, it's pretty well known that he took some classes from Aleister Crowley in uh, magic. 
and we combine them, we put them into a cauldron, we add goddess reference, it's modern Wicca. Do I necessarily believe that it's an unbroken lineage of initiation back to the Stone Age with the horned god and the hunts and a goddess of life? Some days. Yeah. But uh, I listen to people like uh, Robert M. Price talk about uh, the Christ myth, right? Mm -hmm. Where the idea that uh, chances are there was no historical Jesus Christ out there. Chances are that it's, um, you know, they took some... uh, astrology mixed it with some hercules stories and what we have is uh what we have right now so articles of faith i mean what what is the idea of faith right it's something that you can't prove well you can probably prove there's not an unbroken lineage back to the stone age but yeah it doesn't really uh bother me so much well i'm going to connect it to the christmas story because what do you have there is somebody sat down and wrote a screenplay and that was informed by their own childhood memories. And, you know, probably some of those anecdotes are partially true in some way, but for the most part, it's not an autobiographical film. And so I think we're always kind of digesting those early experiences or what we perceive of the generations that come before us and then formulating them in new ways, which if they don't resonate, they're forgotten. It's a weird thing that nobody pays attention to. And if they do resonate, suddenly you have a cult classic film or a new cult on your hands. Yeah, bingo. You know, things ebb and flow, change over the years. How long has the museum been going now? Uh, we opened about five and a half years ago. We yeah. opened my friend's record shop in a neighborhood called Tremont, which was very lucky for me because it was just right down the street from a Christmas story house. And I could pop over here very quickly. Great for the tourists, too. You can check two museums off and a couple of block walk. Right down the street. But the thing was, we were just in a side room of my friend's uh, record shop, right? Mm-hmm. So probably start off an eighth the size of what we have now. And then it was a quarter And then somebody bought the building, told the record shop that they had to leave and we could stay. And I was like, you're getting rid of the record shop, but you're keeping the witches. Come on. (laughs) So I I thought that was absurd, though. You can't really just screw up the way my friends make a living and expect me to think, awesome. So we found the location that we're at now shortly after that. Closed for a few months. That was about three and a half years ago. And... uh, what we lack in square footage, I think we make up with uh, just artifacts of the arcane per square inch. Yeah, oh, you know, for sure. You would say that's almost like an overwhelming feeling of walking in, walking inside almost a uh, cabinet of curiosities when you come in, correct? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's like a, a walk-in closet of curiosities. Well, I'd say it's bigger than a closet. It's bigger than a walk-in closet. It would be a very good walk-in closet. It would be like you know Mr. Burns' walk-in closet. Yeah, exactly. Um, But so what I'm curious about, one of the reasons I was so excited to chat is there's constantly like the same way that the New York Times used to be like graphic novels, not just for kids anymore. It's now like paganism, witchcraft on the rise, blah, blah, blah. And that's pretty abstract. And, you know, everyone knows like witch talk in these various kind of online forms. But you have a physical presence. You get to sit there and see who makes the pilgrimage into a witchcraft museum. So I'm curious what that's been like for you and what sort of patrons you get. So first of all, I think that I get uh, probably the most interesting people that come through Cleveland, Mm -hmm. to be honest, because it's... um, I mean, walking into a witchcraft museum is essentially an abstract idea. You know, yeah. like what what could possibly be 
be here. So it's people with a curious mind. I get all sorts of people. One of the first things we ask is people have heard of our founder, Ray. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people have, most people haven't. But the people that have tend to be like, read all his books, been reading them for years. This person changed my life. This is almost a pilgrimage to come here. They saw the craft in the 90s and they went to Walden Books and bought it. And then now they're here 20 years later. I mean, I get a lot of older people too that remember them from the 70s, things like wow, um, yeah. Witchcraft from the Inside and uh, Pocket Guide to the Supernatural. So mm-hmm. his fans are his fans, right? But we get a lot of people. Sometimes I'll get people that uh, want to just split hairs and Wicca isn't real witchcraft. At first, I'm always just like, all right. But then I always enjoy those conversations because yeah. um, they always kind of like fill in some gaps in. Uh, maybe the best way for me to present what we talk about here. I get a lot of just rocker people that come in, people that come in, see uh, music here in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And what else is there to do? Well, you know, maybe the occult's a little more rock and roll than the uh, rock and roll hall of fame. Which uh, (laughs) That's the category I fell into. I came to see a guided by voices show in front of the rock and roll hall of fame, but didn't actually go into the rock and roll hall of fame and save my museum experience for the witchcraft museum. (laughs) Well, we appreciate that. Uh, probably the saddest ones are the people that get dragged in here that don't want to be here whatsoever. I actually have a sign before the uh, threshold going into the museum that says not for everyone. And people mm-hmm. think it's for them, but it's for me to remind me that uh, just because somebody's here and they're having a terrible time, that's not our fault. It might be the fact that, um, you know, if a loved one wants to go to the Witchcraft Museum and you really want nothing to do with it, I don't understand why you have to pout and glare and make everybody uncomfortable. I mean, go get a boba tea. Like, come on, just yeah, (laughs) you can meet up later. (laughs) I have a couch over there that you could sit there and stare at your phone and yeah, you know, like just dissociate. Yeah, but instead, people get um, you know, those people are the ones that I always want to work the hardest for because I want them to be like, you know, we're not here curdling milk. This is a. a good vibes kind of situation here, but yeah, what can you do? As a teenager, I, I have quite a few younger brothers, and so on family vacations, it was always like trying to balance the different activities and stuff. And my mom would have totally found this on some like list or in you know a yep. lonely planet guide kind of thing. It would have been like, oh, Devin, we could go to this, and my whole family would have like marched around, and no one would have been like anti it in any way, but it would definitely have been like we're here for our gothy teenage son to enjoy and then we'll move along and one of my brothers would be like i want to buy a skull my parents would be like no you can't buy a skull and then <laughs> bingo yeah 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 that's um i get that quite a bit actually which is always um it's always fun when um the family's cool about it yeah but sometimes you know the the sibling that's not interested just i don't know i try yeah it's yeah. not for everybody that's yeah, totally it's not for everyone. Yeah. I had to deal with that on the, uh, I used to ride the New York subway and grant wishes dressed in wizard robes. And I was very aware that some people are going to light up like a, a Christmas tree or a leg shaped lamp. And they're going to run over to me and just be so excited. And other people are just going to be like, Nope, not dealing with this today. And that's okay. Like <laughs> we'll put yourself in their shoes, right? Yeah. You're saying they're going to your high stress, New York city job. You got to crunch those TPS reports. And uh, 
actually it's New York. So it's like, I can't get reservations for that place tonight. Oh, I'm going to look like such a fool because everybody else is getting those reservations. It's going to be terrible. I can't get the, um, can't get tickets for that gig. And here's the wizard. When what they should have done is help me get an edge to get those, uh, exactly reservations, but people just shut it off. And I think you have the same thing. You know, somebody's there and they're like, my stupid daughter wants to come to this. I just want to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and see the yeah. jeans that Eddie Vedder wore when they recorded Yield. And like, like, how long is this going to take? Like, why are you looking at these tarot cards? Let's move it. Or if you think about it, they want to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and see uh, the garb that uh, Jimmy Page wore and yeah. <laughs> the outfits that uh, David Bowie right. performed in. For the whole time, what they're doing is performing magical rituals upon their audiences. I think it's, um, I think it's the Wiki, uh, you know, Wikipedia is always changing, but the Wikipedia for David Bowie's album Diamond Dogs just has a great line about how he's living in a Hollywood mansion on a diet of peppers and milk and cocaine, mm-hmm. and was increasingly paranoid that Led Zeppelin was uh, using black magic to attack him. And, yeah, yeah, he thought Jimmy uh, Page was sending a homunculus over to mess with him. <laughs> just brilliant. Which, I mean, I like the idea that Jimmy Page is like, I was. <laughs> I mean, think Just about it. It's a prank, it. bro. It's a prank, homunculus. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Probably was. Yeah. You should have Jimmy Page on your uh, podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. Reach out to him. Send that email. I forget. Um, I think it is Jimmy Page. Um, I think he lived in Austin and a friend of mine ended up doing landscaping work for him and at some point it was like hey like here's the keys to the truck like you got to move the like you know my truck out of the way and he got in and had one of those five cd changers and my friend's like oh snap like what does jimmy page listen to and they were five jimmy page solo albums yeah <laughs> feel your own vibe i get it it's cool. yeah yeah i played my own records before yeah totally so there's the physical presence of people who actually come into the museum but um I heard that you also get quite a lot of energetic uh, interactions from afar because you are a witchcraft museum, um, often in the form of voicemails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People think it's all right to call me at 3 a.m. You know, and the thing is, it's a small business. You know, my cell phone is my business phone. Right. So I'll get uh, a lot of times I wake up to some pretty absurd voicemails people dealing with certain issues and stuff like that. But maybe we shouldn't really go into uh, to that because I think it's usually just mental breakdowns kind of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun or uh, punch down at anybody. I just, yeah. um, I, it, it's funny because it was, it was definitely a thing and I didn't change anything on my end, but it, it petered off. But when I first had my website as a wizard yeah. and I had a contact form, I would get a message i'm like oh my god like some message i'm so excited what it's yeah, going to yeah. be and it would be some just like scrawled message of like my ex cheat on me can you use black magic oh Punisher? yeah well, and i would get a lot of those things so i was curious if it was sort of in the same vein or if i get a lot who, of that yeah i get a lot of that especially like people that send us messages via like um Twitter DMs or mm. uh, Instagram DMs. Like the majority of them are great, but a lot of them are just like, let me learn the secrets of the abyss, oh great yeah. master of Mysterio Illuminati. Right. So it can be frightening sometimes, honestly. Yeah. 
And then um, are you also getting antagonistic messages of people that are concerned you're doing the the devil's work? Uh, you know, should we really even bother with the haters? I do have some stalkers, which I just think is absurd. I, I, I do not understand how people don't have anything better to do. In this day and age, when like every moment of my day is filled with something I have to do, whose yeah. checklist is I got to go bother the people at the Witch Museum? It's It's absurd. Well, you know, like my own journey in magic, I was coming from my my father is like an atheist and a scientist, and I was sort of coming from that more secular rationalist background. And so when I was first reading Grant Morrison and trying to get, you know, like, believe in magic as a real force, that was my journey. And then it always would strike me that I was like, oh, there are people out there that are convinced that there are magic spells in Harry Potter books, and this is a grave threat to their children's safety. And the haters often live in the most magical worldview. Like I think quite a few Wiccas that you would talk to would have a more like sense of humor, grounded, kind of playful attitude towards it, whereas somebody else thinks this is literally a battle for the nation's soul. Uh, yeah. Actually, um, some of my conversations that I've had with people, they really think that I'm working on a much better budget than I am. <laughs> where, you know, like where we do have a cavern that we all have really really nice robes that we go into and we actually have deep long conversations of servitude to the uh, dark lord but yeah. uh it doesn't quite work like that i mean these are people that have giant television screens right where they have these performances and their mega churches out mm-hmm. in the suburbs right yeah no i don't have i don't have god's budget yeah <laughs> no yeah the devil the devil is a little bit more diy yeah, you know, and maybe that's the thing that freaks them out the most is it's a DIY thing and DIY things always uh, kind of terrify the establishment, right? Yeah. What do you, because um, like you and your journey have gotten to switch places. I mean, I guess you started, you know, being at a, at a Walden Books and, you know, vending these things in some ways. But I think probably for most of your life, you were the person walking into the weird occult shop rather than the person sitting behind the counter. How, what do you like the most about this new position and getting to um, help people explore these things? Uh, just an opportunity to help people explore things, I guess. And also, um, so I kind of consider it golden handcuffs, what I have going on, because, you know, I work seven days a week. Mm-hmm. I don't get a lot of opportunity to hang out with my friends. Somebody's yeah. called twice here, one of my friends here while we're talking here. And I think it probably wants to get together Labor Day weekend stuff, right. right? But, you know, I'm busy working. So the thing that I love the most is the people about being the destination, is yeah. the people that come in here, right? Because, you know, I touched about it briefly. It's people that have an interest in the world, inquisitive mind, people that want to explore, walk in here. Tends not to be the jerks, right? Yeah. So being a beacon of uh, high strangeness and mm-hmm. uh, and just the weird WYRD, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much my absolute favorite part of it. Well, even on the tour that I was on, um, there was someone that clearly wanted to share some of their own personal practice. Oh, and yeah. And Kara was resonating and was like, I think it was something about... Um, I forget. It was something about like what their coven was doing and it resonated with what Kara's coven was doing. And I think for someone who's coming from someplace else, you know, a lot of people these days, it's online. I, I, yeah. I wonder what it was like to be in, uh, you know, Gardner Buckland's era where you were going to somebody's basement out on Long Island and got to have 
this real feeling of the monoculture was not about this. This was much more underground. But these days, I think we let a lot of that energy just be online. So getting to come in and be in a physical space where you can say, well, in my coven, and someone goes, oh, that's cool. My coven does something similar is really um, powerful and, and important. Yeah, it's um, having a place where people meet, talk to each other. I always love seeing the interplay of guests as they come in. Like one person over there starts talking to this person over here for, you know, whatever reason, breaking boundaries because yeah. they have a shared space and a interest. That's my favorite part of this. That was my favorite part when I was writing the Subway Granny Wishes when just by being a wizard, I would break the spell of silence and look at your phone and one person engages and starts talking and somebody else gets wrapped into the conversation and before i know it there's five strangers all talking to each other and i'm just sitting there listening and i'm (laughs) I'm not leading or doing anything it's just enjoying yeah that's um there's certain things i do where i try to mix up crowds as i tell stories and stuff just to see if we could get some energy like that going so what's your favorite item in the collection uh there's a few it's hard for me to like pick a favorite um to me, Rosemary Buckland, the headdress, Lady mm-hmm. Rowan's headdress, the crescent moon headdress. To me, everything we do here kind of emanates out of that. That is the thing. But then the Mandrake route, I feel, is like the beating heart of the collection. Did you spend any time with the Mandrake? I got to see the Mandrake, yeah. It was, it was, it was brought to my attention. And it was, it was found at like a thrift shop for like 10 quit or something back in the day right yeah ray went into this antique store and he saw it and he was just like how much for the mandrake thinking yeah. that it would just and the guy he said um yeah this thing's been weirding me out it's like dreams have become vivid the world's changed i need it gone 10 quid yeah. and it's yours yeah <laughs> so it's a huge mandrake yeah it's a very old gnarly so, root the thing i love about it the most is just the fact that that who would have used that but the local healer, right? Right. The person that you go see. So it's not a piece that, um, you know, that we place some importance on. Mm-hmm. It's something that had importance from the beginning. So Yeah. And that goes into the whole idea of witchcraft is healing, right? Mm-hmm. And not uh, baneful, which, of course, there is room for baneful magic. I'll never say that there's not, but I always like the idea of uh, turning it on the head it's the idea of the uh, for healing well and i think with like what we've talked about you know witchcraft emerged at a certain time or re-emerged um at a certain time and place and struck a chord with people because i think it was giving back vitamins that were sort of missing from the um ideological and spiritual diet at the time like there was a corrective element of saying wait we've really gone way too far in this other direction and uh europe at the time was suffering from that in in, in a variety of ways like if you want to look around and say uh is there is there an overabundance of phallic energy as every man is rushing off into war with a rifle to bayonet each other's eyes out you're like yeah Yeah. maybe we maybe we should have a goddess to kind of bring things back into line yeah and that's such a beautiful part of all this is the idea of the goddess right where it's um People say stuff like, why is it the dude running the place? It's a dude show. But let's face it, I'm the only one that can't function in the outside world. Where uh, Tony, she's busy. Mm-hmm. Jillian, my spouse, she's busy. Yeah. Kara, well, my assistant, but she, uh, a lot of times, 
I'm really interested in her uh, kind of taking over certain things of the uh, conversations with my guests. With me, I'm just the person that can't function in the world any other way. I had to create, I had to create a situation for myself, but uh, I got a whole cast of uh, feminine energy. You know, they're like the fates yeah. that just weave me into their storyline. And I'm totally good with that. Well, and it's fascinating. I hadn't thought about this, but yeah, like it is interesting that witchcraft does have so many um, male figures that have kind of established that lineage. And uh, not that it's that makes it inherently masculine, but that they have been sort of tasked with that in a weird way. Well, Kara does a really great job explaining it. And I always try to like study the way she talks about it. But she's just like, what, you're going to interview the high priestess? She's busy being the high priest. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, yeah. There we have it. So let's get into uh, a little bit of magic ourselves. So we always like to end with a spell. And um, if you have an idea, great. Or if you want to just kind of brainstorm, we can do that as well. But um, what's a piece of magic that the listeners can do at home to kind of bring this energy into their own world? Well, you know, something that we've been talking about is the idea of reaching out, putting mm-hmm. things out there. And a lot of times, I mean, with spells, that's essentially what you're doing is you're reaching out there. So something to do with like communication and building uh, networks and fibers outside of maybe the more traditional online headspace. Ooh, I like the idea of combining them too, that people can do some small spell of, you know, writing down an intention, burning it with a candle, whatever that might be, and then also sending an email. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so example, I just got a... uh, Email here, Buckland Gig Op Inquiry. Hello, I hope to visit the Buckland Museum within the next year. It's one of the locations that I hope to see while I drift across the country doing odd jobs, cash paying gigs. Wondering if there's any opportunities. Okay, so there's no opportunities like that here. I have to be very strict about who has access to the museum, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and this person that sent it. But uh, I love the fact that they did send that email. And yeah. this just came in within the last five minutes here. So maybe That's I'll probably uh, one of the emails from my listeners that listens to this later, though. It's it's one of the weird time things that happens on the podcast. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, I'll just uh, the initials are HB and I'll say HB. We'll talk offline about this. All right. Yeah. So. Um, all right. So we have an idea of creating network. Send that email. Yeah. Should it be a chance? You tell me. You're the, like, what, what's the best? So, so the email, I think, is pretty clear. I think most of my listeners know how to send an email. So if you've been waiting and you're like hesitating, you could send an email to me. I'm personasawake at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, but if you, museum at gmail.com. There we go. We're, we're ready for it. CC um, me. But um, what is the, yeah, like, what's the magical component? How do we want to frame that for people? I always like chance mm-hmm. and I always like, like rhyming kind of things. Yeah. Let's see. Something that can be said three times. Let's see. See, I'll create the world that I want to see. Find out who I want to be. Email, email, off you go. And then how does it end? Um, what will happen soon, we'll know. There we go. All right, wait. So let's, let's say it one more time. All right. Create the world that you want to see. Mm-hmm. What was it? The, become the person you want to be. Something like that, yeah. Email, email, off you go. Email, email, off you go. Will this work? Soon we'll know. Or whatever the better version that we said the first time. But yeah. <laughs> or fill in the blank for your own personal thing. 
write it down, chant it three times, light it on a candle, burn it up. Safely. And then, uh, Fire safety yeah, safely at all times. At all times, please. And then uh, go send that email. Bucklandmuseum at gmail.com. Person is awake at gmail.com. Or you can send it to somebody who's not us. But we'll also take these emails. It'll be fun for yeah, us. CC us. Yeah. CC us. That's right. Yeah, we'll, we'll make sure. We'll put a little boost on your magic. Well, awesome, Stephen. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And thank you for the work that you're doing, um, keeping uh, Cleveland weird and the lineage of this museum alive. Well, I appreciate it. Those are kind words. Thank you, Stephen, so much. Thank you. And thanks for all your uh, listeners from the future, the past, and from now. For more about the Buckland Museum of Witchcraft and Magic, visit bucklandmuseum.org. And if you resonated with the whisper of this podcast is a ritual, you can go to patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual and help support this show. We don't have ads. I'm just a weird wizard doing my thing. And your money makes it possible for me to keep the resonating frequency of this magic alive. So any and all support is appreciated. Patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual. And so... For now, I'll whisper one more magic word to you and hope that it resonates, blooming and blossoming in your own fertile imagination. And that word is possibility.